Greetings in the name of the triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to pastor the small rural congregation in which I was raised. Please join us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information about our small rural congregation, please visit SamanakBaptistChurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K BaptistChurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Hi there. Welcome to the SBC Daily Word for Tuesday, April 20th. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 4 and continuing all the way through the first half of verse 10. So if you have a copy of God's Word or you want to pull it up on your device, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Within the section that I want to read in its entirety here in a few moments, Peter is going to offer us examples of divine judgment, specifically from what we regard as the Old Testament. Now, the reason he is bringing up these examples is because of one of the realities that has led him to write this letter. There have been false teachers who have wormed their way into Peter's community, and as he faces his impending death, He wants to leave them with something that will protect them from these false teachers. So in a similar way to many of us have been receiving our vaccinations for COVID-19, what he wants to do is he wants to inoculate his community. He wants to protect them from this infection. This infection is the false teaching of questioning whether or not Jesus is going to return. There is this continued theme all throughout scripture where the enemy of God's people tempts us with impatience. Impatience with God who seems to delay in keeping his promises. Just consider the stories that you recall from the Old Testament. Consider Abraham and Sarah, for example. They're promised a son, and this son is going to have offspring that are going to outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And what's one of the things they do? In their impatience, they take matters into their own hands. Well, Peter knows that if this infection of doubting the promise of God that comes from the promise of God delayed. One of the things that I appreciate about Peter is he's honest about it's hard to wait. It's hard to stand in that DMV line. It's hard to stand in that long line at Walmart because they only have a few real cashiers on the clock at this moment and they really want you to go through that self-checkout, but yet your purchase requires a human person. So you have to wait in this long line and that requirement of patience is something that is very difficult. So, 
Peter wants to vaccinate, wants to inoculate his readers to the temptation of the virus of impatience. Because what impatience will do is cause us to doubt the promise of God. So what he's going to do is he's going to comb the Old Testament for God coming to rescue his people by judging those who are oppressing them. So let's start in verse four. I just wanna read all the way uh, through the first half of verse 10. And then I wanna point out some observations. For if God, again, that connects back to verses one to three, this idea that one day God is going to keep his promise that these false teachers are questioning. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into, and the word that the NRSV translates hell is the word Tartarus. And this is in Greek first century literature, this word for this space in the netherworld where God consigned evil spirits. So the word hell is probably an unfortunate translation because there's a lot underneath what Peter's readers would have read by that word Tartarus. And then there's some things connected for us to the word hell that may or may not be connected to what the Bible teaches. He committed them to chains of deepest darkness to be kept until the judgment. So this is an image of God's promise to protect his people. And if he did not spare the ancient world, even though he saved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others. Then he brought a flood on a world of the ungodly. And if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction and made them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, greatly distressed by the licentiousness of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge their flesh in depraved lust and who despise authority. So again, Peter's response to these false teachers who are seizing upon the temptation of impatience is to look at themes from the Old Testament narrative to promote this truth that God judges and God delivers. So the first example is of these angels. And again, that takes us back to Genesis 6, where the text says, these angelic beings that they're described as the sons of God, the Nephilim. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other Facebook Live. That's a whole other YouTube video. But essentially in that story, we have the intermingling of different spheres of God's creation. And then this becomes this sons of God marrying the daughters of men and, and giving birth to these Nephilim, these subhuman creatures and again whole other story that we can't get into sorry in this episode of the spc daily word 
but yet what's happening here is that God stepped in. God stepped in to say, okay, I have had enough. We need to start over for the goodness and flourishing of my creation. Um, so he begins verse four with this reference to the fallen angels. And then in verse six, to the references to the flood, okay? So verse four is Genesis six and God judging the sons of God who cohabitated with the daughters of men. Verse five, the flood. And then um, verses um, six on to the end of our reading, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, these stories are seized upon by Peter to then help us see that God will step in when he judges it to be necessary. So what does Peter focus on as he looks at the story of the sons of God and the daughters of men? He focuses on the pride and the rebellion of these angelic beings. In the story of Noah, he focuses upon the apathy and the disobedience of men in Noah's day. And then when it comes to the men of Sodom, he focuses on their licentiousness, the fact that they just had no restraint at all, connected one to sexual sin, connected two to what we're going to see in other places in the Old Testament of them having no regard for the oppressed within their midst. In fact, there are several other places in the Old Testament prophets that look back at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they see to it more than this indictment of their sexual abuse and their sexual sin. Now, the prophets aren't saying that that, that is not something that should be taken seriously. They are assuming that. But one of the things in our culture that we need to understand is the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not only related to sexual promiscuity and sexual violence, but the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was disregard for the vulnerable. Now, this is important to recognize because notice what Peter calls Lot. In fact, Lot is described several times. Verse 7, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man. Verse 8, for that righteous man. He has a righteous soul in verse 8. In verse 9, he is considered among the godly and contrasted with the unrighteous. Now, if you read Genesis, the narrator of Genesis does not regard Lot as a righteous man. So if there was a Q&A, and, and, and Peter's teaching this, one of the questions that I would have for him is, can you point me in God's word to Lot being considered righteous? Well, what Peter would then do is point to other second temple teachers, second temple Jewish rabbis, okay? And by second temple, I mean those who occupied the temple that had been rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. So around 500 years before Christ, Ezra and Nehemiah led the people um, from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. And then basically our Old Testament seems to end around that time. But then there is much literature that we are now aware of that describes the teachings of the people of God who ministered and lived and served in that space. 
One of the things that rabbis in that second temple period between the end of our Old Testament and the, the birth of Jesus described in Matthew and Luke is Lot was considered righteous because Lot welcomed the stranger. Lot was hospitable to those who were in need. We can see how that's contrasted with the activity of Sodom and Gomorrah, especially in light of the indictment of the prophet Isaiah. He's describing reasons why Judah is going to be judged by God through Assyria. Speaking of this promised judgment that's coming, this is what Isaiah says. I'm in Isaiah 1, starting in verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Sodom. So these Jewish leaders are now described as rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight, he says, in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bring, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot ensure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So this is a pretty stinging indictment here from the prophet that Yahweh is saying, the Lord of hosts is saying to the prophet Isaiah, I want you to stop coming to church. I want you to stop praying. I want you to stop singing. I want you to stop your festivals. I want you to stop your religious practices until you start doing what they didn't do in Sodom, until you repent of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wash yourselves, the prophet continues. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Can you be more specific, please? Yahweh obliges. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So in Peter's day, in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, there was this thing that God hated. And the thing was a lack of hospitality to those in our community who have needs. Beloved, God will judge. The Old Testament promises it. These later books in the New Testament even promise it. But what is the nature of the God who promises to come and judge, who promises to come and rescue? It is a God who can be trusted to judge because he is full of mercy. 
He sees the weak being oppressed. He sees the poor being taken advantage of. He sees the orphan and the widow without resources. And then those who have resources not sharing those resources. And his anger burns. Why does his anger burn? His anger burns because before he felt anger, he felt compassion. The reason he's full of anger is because he is full of mercy. Beloved, the enemy, false teachers want us to be impatient. The enemy and false teachers want us to take matters into our own hands, to not trust that God one day will come and judge, that God one day will right all of the wrongs. Beloved, this text doesn't call us to proclaim the bad news of God's judgment. This text calls us to proclaim the good news of a God who is full of mercy and who is patiently waiting to come one day and make things right. Beloved, we can't be trusted to be patient. We can't be trusted to be just in judgment. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Lot, the God of Noah, the God of Jesus, and the God of Peter can be trusted. Ben Shive is a songwriter and a music producer who does a lot of work with one of my favorite Christian musical artists, Andrew Peterson. And Ben Shive has a song called Rise Up. Andrew Peterson um, sang it on one of his Resurrection Letters albums, but then Ben Shive has also recorded it. I'll put a link to the YouTube of Ben Shive singing it. This song is called Rise Up, and I think it captures the God that's described here in 2 Peter chapter 2. It says, and you will rise up in the end. You will rise up in the end. I know the night is cruel, but the day is coming soon when you will rise up in the end. And then listen to this verse. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and murdered every son, would not the father see this? Would not his anger burn? Would he not repay the tyrant in the day of his return, await, await the day of his return. Because he will rise up in the end. He will rise up in the end. I know you need a savior, but he's patient in his anger. But he will rise up in the end. Beloved, our world is full of injustice. Our world is full of violence toward the unborn. Our world is full of violence toward racial minorities. Our world is full of injustice. And our temptation can be to take violence and justice into our own hands. But to that misguided temptation from the enemy, I say, wait upon the Lord. Trust him to be just. Trust him to be patient, for he is full of mercy. Thank you for joining me. May grace and peace and everything good be yours.